Welcome to Hedge Fund Tips with Tom Hayes. I'm Tom Hayes, and this is Videocast Episode 68, Podcast Episode 58 for the week ending February 5th, 2021. We're coming to you live from Tampa, Florida. Uh, special week, we had to take our two daughters down to Florida for a swim meet because Connecticut is still closed, and the only meets happening were down in Florida where business is open. And while we were down here, here we figured uh heard a lot that there were some tickets still available i thought it would be kind of silly uh sitting in the hotel room five minutes away from the stadium watching the super bowl so we're gonna head over there let's hope the girls uh, uh enjoy it and it should be a lot of fun so uh as a uh a uh, 43-year-old man. I'm I'm rooting for Tom Brady. We like to always believe we've got one last shot for uh, athletic greatness at the this age. Uh, I'm a weekend warrior with ice hockey, which uh, pales in comparison. But uh, we'll we'll be out there rooting. And Mahonis has many decades to win many many Super Bowls. So uh, so we're all rooting for Tom here. I know. Uh, half of you just tuned out on that news, but uh, anyway, we, we're hoping for a nice time, and uh, it was nice to see that that uh, tickets were available for sale. So we killed two birds with one stone on this trip, and uh, want to get right down to it this week. Um, uh, we're gonna quickly run through the media. We usually go into detail on the media. We're gonna do that later in the call. Uh, this week. Uh, first, I'd like to thank Liz Clayman and Jackie D'Ambrosi Scales for having me on on the 2nd, which was Tuesday. We'll go into that in detail in our weekly article. And want to thank Jill Wagner uh, and uh, Allie Thompson and T Taylor Gary for having me on Cheddar. Um, uh, the day after on Wednesday morning, and we're going to go into some, some real detail on that call. She uh, asked me a great question at the end because we we're talking a lot about GameStop and other things in the market. And she said, what advice would you give to brand new investors, especially the, these ones that got involved with uh, GameStop through this Reddit message board, etc. And I really, you know, it, it took me by surprise. And, and I just thought back to the most important thing that I ever did starting in this business was I read a book that was suggested by Warren Buffett when I was at the annual meeting in Omaha. And, uh, you know, here's the quote at, at age 19, I read a book, The Intelligent Vest Investor, and what I'm doing today at age 76, he was older at the point that he recommended that, uh, that uh, I, I read it, uh, is running through running things through the same thought process I learned from the book I read at age 19. And that is uh, The Intelligent Investor by Ben Graham. And it talks about the short-term voting machine versus the long-term weighing machine. Why I think this is so important is I'm seeing more and more um, highly credible people, and, and they've been right, saying that the whole investment game has changed forever and that uh, stocks are no longer based on fundamentals and that it's based on you know momentum or what the future is going to be uh, or the story or a combination thereof. And I think what we're going to find as we have for uh, decades and decades and, and over a century of data is that it's not different this time. And those who are out there saying that the game has changed and you've got to just play momentum and, you know, 
who cares about the value, you know, the, the earnings. It's only about, you know, total addressable market and, and growth expectations, et cetera. There is some to that. There's always going to be some to that in new industries. There's certainly that's the case. But that's all short-term mindset. What's going to happen in the next year? What's going to happen in the next two years? And what people do is they take one or two examples that worked exceptionally well. Effectively, you're looking at Tesla, which was able to, to pull it off, uh, and Amazon, and both absolutely changed the world. And, but you had in those two cases, really what you were betting on was the jockey to change the world. And many of these companies that are getting extremely you know, rich valuations on the basis of some narrative about TAM or being in the right place at the right time with EV SPACs, etc., uh, I think what you're going to find is that the short-term voting machine will eventually give way to the long-term weighing machine, and you'll have you'll have a few winners, but by and large, the the vast majority are not going to meet the the long-term weighing of fundamentals and intrinsic value, and that doesn't mean it has to trade at a discount to book value. I think when people think about value investing, they think in a narrow range, you know, buying a dollar for 50 cents and that no longer is the case but if you can buy an earning stream at a reasonable price you know peg ratio uh, uh, you know discount to the expectation of how quickly they can grow earnings that's another form of value and there's a tremendous opportunity there so I think by reading that book and suggesting that book it really gives you a leg up to understand the basics and then if you want to take it a step further once you read that book either it's gonna click for you and your life will never be the same or it's not and then that's perfectly fine you know go on and build a business go on and do something else but that that changed my life forever that book and the second thing you want to do is go to the Berkshire Hathaway website and read every single annual letter that Warren Buffett has ever written. And it doesn't mean that you have to be explicitly a, you know, a deep value investor because there's so many different ways to make money. And that's the other thing that I think people miss in this business is they think that, um, you know, there's there's only one way you can only do it this way and the fact of the matter is there are a lot of people making a lot of money doing it different ways uh for me i have a a, a longer term mindset and and this works exceptionally well uh but for other people they like quicker things and you know seeing immediate results and buying things that are in momentum and that can work as well so um but but that's a great way to start because what we saw happen with gamestop was a perfect example of in the short term, the market is a voting machine based on momentum and emotions. And in the long term, it's a weighing machine where it reverts back to the intrinsic value. Uh, in the case of GameStop, part of the original um, uh, value thesis as purported by Michael Burry of Scion and then this other uh, guy, Roaring Kitty, who went on uh, YouTube and did a pretty good job. If you look at his first video from July, he did decent analysis. A lot of it was uh, repetition of what Burry, of the case that Burry had laid out. Um, but then it, when it got into this whole diamond hands and, you know, don't sell no matter what, 
that's the type of emotionalism that eventually backfires and, and we see it now plummeted from you know 483 down to 50 or 60 wherever wherever it closed today so that would be my suggestion we're going to go into some more substance of what i covered with jill but thanks again to jill alley and taylor from cheddar i want to thank herbert lash and tom arnold for including me in their reuters article earlier this week and this was as uh, the CME, the, the Reddit traders went to silver on Monday and the CME solved the problem the right way. What they did was they just immediately raised margin requirements and took the froth right out. Uh, and what, it also, what also happened was the GameStop trade started to unwind. And what was effectively happening was everyone rushing for the same narrow exit, trying to get off margin. And uh, what were known as quote-unquote diamond hands, meaning hold strong, don't sell, uh, proved to be many cubic zirconias as they were getting out in fits and starts. So, um, and, and that completely unwound. So, uh, next is want to thank uh, Saleha Riaz for reaching out to me for Yahoo Finance UK. Uh, that was also related to the uh, silver squeeze, well, you know, why was silver collapsing after it had such a run? And that was uh, the CME doing the right thing. And that was one thing I covered in a, a CGTN segment that will be coming out next week. And we'll find out with the investigations of uh, Robin Hood, etc. Why did they restrict trading when they could have simply raised margin requirements or have a situation where brand new traders, you know, maybe you have to be in a probation period for six months before you start to get access to margin? Why not just increase margin requirements versus just shutting down and restricting trade, which I think, you know, it's interesting because they did they their calculations were correct. They, they really did the, the right thing with the analysis, the initial analysis of GameStop maybe a little too optimistic on the digital transformation or too quickly, but the short squeeze was, was right. It was irresponsible for the hedge funds to be 140% short. Uh, they figured it out. And candidly, had Robinhood not shut off buying, there's no question in my mind that stock could have gone to 750. It could have gone to 1,000. There's no telling because there was momentum behind it. People were getting squeezed. And what effectively happened when Robinhood put that restriction on is they just, they wound up doing the opposite. They stole from the poor to give to the rich. Uh, that decision caused the stock to drop from 483 to 200, where a lot of hedge funds covered, and they were able to live another day. Had they not done that, I think 750, I think a, a thousand, that would have blown a lot of people up and caused a lot of systemic uh, deleveraging uh, and selling further selling of winners in order to fund the losers. So um, it'll be interesting to see how these uh, investigations unwind. But, you know, the retail guy did beat, you know, Main Street did beat Wall Street, had had the rules not changed. But, uh, you know, often they always do. You know, they, they, they wind up favoring. We, we saw the articles over the week about the pig, Piggly Wiggly short squeeze in the 20s. You can Google that on... Um, Barron's, there was a good example, and it and uh, goes to the point that when the big big players on Wall Street are losing, they change the rules, and that's exactly what ha happened. Whether it was uh, due to the capital shortage that surprised Robinhood, um, you know, is, is unclear. It'll, it will come out, but. The fact that they didn't just take up margin requirements versus banning it altogether is uh, 
was a bit surprising and I think uh, certainly disappointing for the people who were on at that point on the right side of the trade. That said, there's no excuse for staying at the trough too long, and we'll we'll talk about that as well um, moving forward. And we covered that last week. It was time to take some chips off the table. Uh, last week it was at 483 when we put out that article in the 400s, take some chips off the table, and I hope a lot of people did and, and cashed in because uh, there were a lot less chips to be had by the end of this week. Uh, and then uh, also want to thank Devik Jane and Meta Singh uh, on the 3rd. And, um, you know, there was a period of volatility and the market was taking a breather. So thanks for including me in your article. And lastly was the jobs report today. Uh, Herb Lash gave me a call uh, this morning after the report. And I said, you know, it's very hard to get pessimistic. Uh, there were some material downward revisions in November and in December. Jobs reports, uh, you know, some 70 and 80,000 respectively. Uh, but that's backward looking and it's very hard to get pessimistic even with the miss this morning uh, non-seasonally adjusted we lost 3,000 uh, it was negative 3,000 jobs but then you look at the early this morning they passed the Senate approved a budget resolution that would enable them to move ahead with the 1.9 trillion dollar stimulus with or without the Republicans uh, so you know <laughs> that's a that's an avalanche of liquidity almost uh, almost 10 percent of GDP uh, then you had the vaccines uh, vaccinations uh, consistently hitting above a million on the seven day average plus you've got the cases well below the seven-day average, uh, which is 131,000. 131, it, it's uh, hit 98,000 yesterday, so significantly below the seven-day average. And you have over an 80% beat rate on earnings, and estimates continue to come up every single week. So despite the softness in the jobs report this morning, uh, it's more backward looking. And then since the announcement that the states are going to get $350 billion of bailout money, uh, they've been reopening. So uh, big parts of GDP, big parts of California are reopening now that uh, they're getting the the, um, the bailout money. And there was also a, a attempted recall of the governor in California. So that was probably a catalyst to make some changes. And in New York, you're seeing further openings. So that, that will be a good thing all around. And uh, that's why the market could largely look through a little short-term softness that we saw from those regional shutdowns this morning. Um, moving right along, uh, the places where we saw the gains and losses in jobs, this is from CNBC, uh, professional business services gained 100,000, leisure and hospitality lost 61,000, healthcare and social assistance lost 40,000. That was related to a lot to, to nursing homes, et cetera. I think a lot of people cleared out of nursing homes in recent months. Uh, and as the vaccinations come, hopefully they'll, they'll be uh, coming back. Those jobs will come back. And um, you know, seeing seeing pockets of strength and pockets of weakness, and you had a lot of government ads as well that um, that helped the numbers. Uh, these are some numbers from Bank of America through Zero Hedge just put out this afternoon. It just gives you a visual of how the hospitalizations, the deaths, the uh, cases are, you know. 
it looks like they're falling off a cliff. And that's a very, very positive thing as the vaccinations are just continuing to trend up in a material way. And, you know, I looked at some of these numbers uh, before talking uh, this morning to Herb. And if you look at the number of cases has been 26 million in the U.S. And now 28 million people have received at least one dose of the vaccination. Seven million have gotten two doses. So when you add those together, you know, you're 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 knocking on the door of 60 million people, a little less than 20 percent of the population is now either vaccinated or has had uh, coronavirus uh, and, and may have antibodies. So, uh, you know, you continue to change that one side of the equation. I think we're going to see cases collapsing here. And, um, you know, as more and more people get the vaccination, more and more people want it because, you know, uh, there's less concern about it and, and worries. If, if my neighbor got it, I'm going to get it. They're out and able to do whatever they want. I want to get back to normal. So these numbers are going to go up really quick. Even if we got up to 30 million cases and 50 million vaccines in the next uh, month or 60 million, you know, you, you're starting to get to 50% of the population much quicker than people think. And, uh, and that's, that's very, very positive, hard to be terribly negative in that environment. Um, okay, so this was the budget resolution that was uh, this morning. And uh, so it can't be filibustered. And the next big date for that is February 16th. Uh, when they when they send the the uh, the budget to get approved, now you've got the Johnson and Johnson is going to seek emergency authorization for their COVID vaccine. Now this was a little disappointing last week. Obviously, it was uh, 66% effective, preventing moderate uh, COVID. But if you get it, it's only one shot. So people like that. And it's 85% effective at preventing severe disease. So it's like, if you get COVID and you don't have major symptoms, is it really so bad to have COVID? I, I, I don't know the answer to that, but I do know 85% against severe with one shot is, is only going to help us get those numbers up to, you know, 150, 180, and then, you know, what whatever we need, eight times three, probably 240 million people either having had it or having been vaccinated to get close to some type of herd immunity. So, th so this is certainly good news uh, not to bet against. Then uh, there was, uh, you know, it, for laughs, the Super Bowl indicator was out and there's some wrinkle in it that uh, if it predicts that stocks will rise if the game's winner traces its roots to the original NFL before its merger with the AFL in 1966 and uh, it will fall if the winning team can trace its roots back to the AFL. Now, Tampa Bay has no roots in either league. So it's okay if Tom Brady wins because uh, it's an expansion team that joined in 1976. So for a precise interpretation of what a victory by an expansion team would mean, uh, this gentleman named Leonard Cop Copet went through it and... 
He said that stocks will rise from Super Bowl Sunday through the end of the year whenever the winning team cannot trace its roots back to the original AFL. That would suggest by interpretation that a Tampa Bay victory would be bullish for the stock market. So there you go. Let's see when we go on Sunday if we can, uh, you know, knock one out for the middle-aged men that want to have one more shot at athletic greatness. And and, and it'll be good for the stock market as well. And Mahomes will, uh, will win probably two handfuls worth of uh, Super Bowl rings over over his career, but uh, let's see if this one can go to Tom Brady. All right, moving right along. Uh, This was posted on MarketWatch. This is uh, out from Deutsche Bank today. And what they're talking about is, you know, pockets of froth and the retail participation, but they do an overlay of uh, the NASDAQ bubble in 2000 to the S&P radio phonographs and musical instruments chart in 1929 peak, and then they're measuring it to uh, the FANG plus stocks today, and they're saying, you know, it's making the same pattern. I'm not a huge fan of these analogs, but, um, you know, their commentary was the more things change, the more things stay, stay the same. Today's technology giants are following a similar trajectory to the radio makers of the 1920s, as well as the dot-com era around the turn of the century. So the point is that you can be a firm believer in tech's ability to transform our lives, but still think valuations might be in a bubble, said Jim Reed, strategist at Deutsche Bank. It remains to be seen. I thought it was interesting that... Um, Jeff Bezos stepped down at age 57 uh, this week from Amazon. He's going to be executive chairman instead of CEO. Um, uh, Bill Gates did the exact same thing in the year 2000, which was the peak of the tech bubble. Uh, But more importantly, I think he did it because the antitrust investigation and morass was upon him. And uh, he made that move right before it got aggressive. And I'm wondering if Bezos is potentially sniffing that environment is getting more aggressive or if he just wants to go out and shoot rockets with Blue Origin. I mean, he's certainly entitled to do that after 20 some odd years of creating one of the greatest companies in history. Uh, But, you know, with Amy Klobuchar, you know, introducing this uh, bill now, this antitrust bill about technology deals and, you know, their inability to do new deals, if it's going to hurt other competition, well, why would you do deals unless you want to gain a share? Uh, so the, you know, the winds are blowing, I, you know, and I don't think that's going to change imminently. Uh, obviously, there are cases all over, state cases, federal cases, etc. So we just have to keep our eye on big tech uh, because this is not going away. And now there's a unit, you know, uh, a unity where the federal government can move aggressively if they want to on on particular matters. And this may be one in the crosshairs. And maybe maybe Jeff Bezos is sniffing that out just as Bill Gates did in 2000. And if that's the case. Uh, this Deutsche Bank note, uh, although it seems a little bit hyperbolic, it you know there there could be something to pay attention to as it relates to that. I think the number number one thing to watch is with the largest degrossing last week uh, by hedge funds since 2009. It's often the case that when you have that kind of massive deleveraging, it doesn't just clear out in one day. It could be the case. I mean, you did have in the in August 2007, 
you had the risk parity guys take it take a monster hit and it cleared out pretty quickly but it was kind of the earthquake before you had 2008 uh so it's something to keep in mind but the point that i'm making here is as much as there's a to be excited and optimistic about in the market despite a 75% move off the lows um, and and you know maybe a, a little bit push higher here I, I do think you're gonna see some redemptions in in those funds that got hurt which would have gotten significantly hurt, hurt, um, damaged had it not been for Robinhood shutting down the trade effectively uh, so expect redemptions and if you are seeing redemptions in those people that were short a stock that had 140% short interest, which you should, then um, you're going to see selling of the winners, which would be the FANG Plus, uh, in order to fund those redemptions at the end of the quarter, or in some cases, if they don't have liqu quarterly liquidity, it would be the end of the year uh, as they wind down. So it's just something to keep in the back of your mind. There are a number of headwinds pointing to it, but at the same time, you've got you know record quarters, so you, you have to balance it. Uh, you know, let to run free, they could they could keep running. I just don't know that the environment is going to be full free market moving forward. I think there's going to be a clampdown because governments around the world want a piece of the action in the form of taxes, and it will start as uh, antitrust and then be settled as more taxes uh, for for these companies, which will impair their margins, earnings ability, forward outlook, etc., and uh, other groups will see uh, favored and outperform. But uh, predicting something like a you know 1920s or tech wreck, I think is is a bit hyper hyperbolic at this point unless government really uh, gets aggressive on this front. Now this week was a build on of last week. Last week was the 50 cent in the club, uh, <laughs> the stock market about the Reddit boards and the Robin Hooders. This week was called the good, the bad and the ugly kind of wrapping up the story. Uh, this was from a 1966 Italian spaghetti Western uh, that starred Clint Eastwood, put him on the map. And the famous aspect of this movie was what what was known as a Mexican standoff where all three characters are seen as anti-hero anti-heroes killing for their own personal gain and it does parallel the scene we saw play out with GameStop this past week uh the reddit uh rebellion and the robin hooders were were characterized as the the good the retail traders were were the good players the hedge fund shorts were labeled the bad and the robin hood platform was coined the ugly after restricting traders from purchasing shares of gamestop and continuing the short squeeze and uh, like all good mexican standoffs there's no strategy that exists that allows any party to achieve victory or walk away unscathed uh, the diamond-handed redditors stayed at the punch bowl too long uh, leaving the latecomers holding the bag. And that was disappointing to see. You know, there were all these things that, uh, you know, this gentleman who put out the uh, original deep value thesis for GameStop, the, the video where he was talking about, you know, discount to assets and the, the uh, console upgrade, etc., and that he was going to be investigated and, you know, and, and they always sacrifice the virgin in, in these type of situations, which is disappointing to see. But what was what was a little abusive? One, I think it was obviously unfair that that these folks were were prohibited from purchasing the stocks when they got the trade right. But I think what was a little bit um, 
unhealthy was this concept of diamond hands, like encouraging people to hold tight and don't sell a stock that everyone knew. I mean, the most optimistic uh, fundamental valuation price target on the sell side was about $30 a share if everything went right with their digital transformation and all the most optimistic things that they were projecting about having people come in and play the games in the store, etc. you know, was $30 a share. So when you have a stock at 100 and 200 and 300 and people saying diamond hands, diamond hands don't sell and new players coming on with, you know, greedy and seeing these people made all this money and buying up at $300, you know, that, that doesn't, that doesn't help anything. So, um, so there was good and bad, I think in, in all, all three groups and uh, none of them got away unscathed. There were hedge funds that will probably wind down. Uh, I think Robinhood, although they had huge app downloads last week, I think when all is said and done, uh, you know, a number of people got off after those trades were being shut down. It will it will delay their IPO. They had to raise a lot of capital. They're going to be under scrutiny. Ultimately, I think it's going to be a good business, but they're they're going to probably shift to educating people a little bit more, lowering their people's ability to borrow on margin in in early days when they're inexperienced, increasing education. And, you know, the other thing is this concept I keep hearing about protecting people from themselves. You know, look, everyone's got to pay their tuition. I mean, you know, we all learn how to do it right by doing it wrong, whether you're a carpenter, whether you're a uh, pool contractor, whether you're an investor, whether you're a trader, whether you're uh, a business person, you know, protecting people from themselves, that, that the implication is that they're, you know, baby children. I do think there's, there's room for guardrails. Certainly maybe you could have a probationary period with no margin for the first three to six months, uh, maybe limited option trading, notional, you know, maybe the notional uh, exposure couldn't be you know, more than 2x uh, the amount of equity capital, something something to the, that effect, or you have to wait a couple months to do options till you take a modular course or something like that. But uh, but people have to learn by by making mistakes, and I think this was an example of it. And I think there are going to be millions of new people. There are eight million some odd people on this board. Maybe it's ten million now. I haven't looked in six hours, but uh, um, it's going to add a lot of new people, and probably you'll see tens of thousands who will be amongst really great investors in the next five years, in the next ten years, in the next. 15 years that would have never been exposed to the markets had it not been for this. That's good for capital markets. It's good for capital formation. It's good for business formation. So, so there will be a lot of good that comes out of this. And, um, and that's that, but for now they all got bloodied up and there's no two ways about it. Now, um, in last week's note on January 28th, on that, that was put out before the opening, the, the stock traded up to 483. I, I had two quotes. The retail traders had a huge short-term win and mopped the floor with dealers and short sellers. But as the old saying goes, bulls make money, bears make money, pigs get slaughtered. And the second quote was, to the Reddit folks, quote, in the club, those were lyrics from the 50 Cent song, you crushed some big names in the game. Make sure you walk away with some chips and live to play another day. 
You identified the vulnerability that sophisticated players missed and you deserve to harvest the spoils. Now take some chips off the table while you can and quote, go sip Bacardi like it's your birthday. That's another line from the 50 Cent song. So I hope many people who read this uh, did that. And to those of you who did, you're you're probably well set up for uh Retirement, if you're in your 20s and you compound that at uh, 8, 9, 10% over the next 20 years, you'll probably retire in your early to mid 40s. And uh, for those who stayed a little too long, even though fundamentally you knew the intrinsic value was no greater than $30, $40 a share, maybe $50 on a, you know, all the stars aligning three years out, uh, you know, we have a picture here of a bunch of pigs at the trough, and uh, there's nothing more than you could say other than you learn from experience. Um, Okay, so in the segment with Liz, um, you know, we referenced the diamond hands becoming cubic zirconias, and uh, we acknowledge that last week Apple had record earnings, everything was perfect and the stock was down, and that was because it was being sold out as a source of funds. And that's the thing you wanna keep your eye on in coming weeks. Does Apple make new highs here, uh, or does it stay under pressure uh, moving forward? And that'll give you an indication as to whether we're gonna have, you know, Uh, some consolidation here that's long overdue uh, or if this is just going to push higher I mean if you keep putting a couple trillion dollars in every you know we just put in at almost a trillion dollars what three four weeks ago with the with the 900 billion dollar package now we're doing another two trillion dollars very hard to get bearish with that amount of liquidity and stimulus and particularly with people getting back to normalcy with the vaccines and the cases rolling over. So uh, keep an eye on Apple. That That is my tell. If it makes new highs, then all bets are off. If it, if it struggles to do so, uh, then maybe we do go sideways before resuming the uptrend in the back half of next year. And uh, we'll see how that play plays out. Uh, the CPO was out this week, Congressional Budget Office, nonpartisan. Economic U.S. economy will hit new highs in economic growth by mid-year. Unemployment rate will plummet to 5.3%. It already came down to 63 this morning. And inflation will remain subdued. And that is in the absence of new stimulus. Now we're getting this $1.9 trillion on top of it. I think the, uh, the concept of inflation remaining at 1.5% is... Uh, um, very unrealistic. And um, so, you know, our suggestion to to Liz was to ignore all of this noise and find opportunity where there's still value. You know, we love, obviously, as if you've been with me for the last six months, we love banks, we love energy, but they've had a monster, monster run in the last four weeks. So we're holding what we have, but where do you put new money to work? Uh, and we've been talking about aerospace and defense subsector on a second half commercial aviation recovery. We've been continually adding to that. We think over the next 12 to 18 months, that's gonna be an outperforming subsector. And uh, and while the defense budget is currently flat, we, we could potentially get some, some upward uh, revision in that to couple with all the satellite, the space business, the satellite business, uh, and uh, most importantly, the commercial aviation, as we heard from uh, Greg Hayes over at Raytheon Technologies when he was uh, reporting earnings last week. So that that's very important. Now, as far as the segment with Jill Wagner on Cheddar, uh, in addition to covering all of that uh, and and the book recommendation, which I, I hope everyone finds helpful, 
Um, there were a number of questions they wanted to cover, but you know, these segments are usually five or six minutes. We went seven or eight minutes, and we and uh, and we still didn't get to these. So I want to cover it with you. Uh, and the producer had asked me, "Where where are we with earnings? What do you like what you've seen so far?" Earnings are coming in much better than expected on both the top and the bottom lines. Uh, if you recall, December 31st, expectations were for negative 9.7 percent for Q4. Uh, it's now uh, closer to negative 2%, and it's going to finish the quarter positive year-on-year. So in the middle of a pandemic, you're going to have positive earnings year-on-year. You've got a beat rate over 80% on on earnings on the top line, over mid-70s on the bottom line. And financial sector is reporting the largest positive aggregate difference between actual earnings and what the estimates were. This is only going to improve as they release reserves in coming quarters. We've been talking about this since July uh, of last year, and it's it's come to pass in this earnings season. It's only going to accelerate. The 210 spread and the 230 spread is now the widest it's been in three or four years. That's going to uh, uh, really juice net interest margin and net interest income as as well as the housing demand for millennials which on average are age 30 starting housing formation uh, having babies and moving out to the suburbs so i like uh obviously everyone knows uh my top position there as well as fargo and we like that for the next uh 12 to 24 months and we think that's got a lot of legs over time and a lot of catalysts with bringing down the efficiency ratio is uh, much higher than peers they've already started to work on that they're going to take 10 billion of of costs out and eventually they'll get that asset cap relieved of the 1.9 trillion cap there's no longer any management that was involved in those sales practices four or five years ago they've clean met all the the uh they've cleaned up that that part of the business and it's just a matter of time until that is released and that will be another catalyst as well so uh so we like to see that with financials uh revenues have grown year on year 1.7 percent in the middle of a pandemic that's positive they're going to grow high single single digits for 2021 and 2022 so that's good to see and the, the most important point is that the estimates continue to be revised upward each week. Uh, at the time of writing this, it was at 172 and 198, up from 168 and 196. It's gone up again this week, which we'll cover at the end of the podcast. So that's really exciting. Uh, as far as sectors, energy, industrials, consumer, discretionary materials, and financials are going to grow EPS greater than 20% in 2021, while tech and uh communication services are going to grow slower at 16.3% and 12.3% respectively, which is lower than the S&P 500, and yet it's trading at a 50% higher multiple. Now, she also asked a good question, what concerns me and and what are the next catalysts uh, for stocks once we get through earnings? In the short term, I'm really watching the U.S. dollar. I've talked about that in recent weeks as it's been showing strength. And hedge funds are record short the U.S. dollar. And uh, no, I'm not worried about the Redditors squeezing the hedge funds in the U.S. dollar. But I am worried about the fact that commercial hedgers have been buying. And the commercials are usually right at these extremes. This would be a short-term headwinds for earnings and stocks if it persists. I think it's a counter-trend rally that may last weeks, not months. But uh, it's something to certainly keep my eye on. Uh, Another concern was inflation is likely to come sooner than anticipated, forcing the Fed 
Fed to act more quickly than expected. It will come from wage inflation. Employers are now competing for labor as pent-up demand returns, and private wages will have to meet or exceed extended unemployment benefit pay. Remember, it's going from 300 to 400 a week, and it's extending from March to September now, and there's no penalty if you refuse a job. If someone offers you a job and you say, I'm worried about COVID, you don't have to take the, the job and you still get your benefits. So if you annualize that, you know, state can be as high as 400 plus the 400, that's 800 a week run weight, $40,000 a year. Employers are going to have to get uh, uh, pay people just to compete and incentivize people to uh, go into the private workforce. Why would people want to do work for 40000 a year if they could sit home and get 40000 a year? Uh, some people just like the pride of it and something to do and feeling good about themselves, which is a very positive thing. But usually they're going to have to pay more than 40000 which is a lot of money for a lot of businesses. So uh, we will see wage inflation and uh, commodity prices. I've been talking about this for six months uh, that, that uh, once the uh, OPEC announced the plan in June, the cut plan that will extend through April of 2022, and now with the new administration policies on no drilling on federal land, it's gonna affect 30 to 40% of shale drilling, and we're seeing it already at the pump. Prices are starting, starting to go up, and that's going to continue. So we're gonna see inflation and the other thing I'm worried about is a concern, she asked me, the bad news is taxes are going up for good for corporations and, and wealthy individuals. The good news is it takes on average 15 months to pass a comprehensive tax bill. So the question began, uh, becomes, when does the stock market start to discount the reduction in earnings that's going to come from the corporate tax rate? And will the $2 trillion of stimulus offset in other words, by adding all this stimulus, will we gain an extra $20 of S&P earnings before we lose $20 from the tax increase? And the market is currently betting that the impact of the stimulus and the vaccinations will be greater than the $20 of S&P earnings uh, per share that we lose moving forward. And we'll see if, if that's the case. I do think as that rhetoric becomes louder, which will be right after they pass this stimulus, they're going to be talking taxes. Uh, the market's going to start to get a little bit, um, you know, wobbly on that, but ultimately it, it should be okay as the market begins to acknowledge that it's it's going to take some time to get through. Next, um, what I'm also concerned about is Q1 and Q2 tech comps. Obviously, we had good tech numbers uh, for Q4, but a tremendous amount of demand, particularly with consumer electronics, et cetera, i.e. Apple, was pulled forward from uh, was pulled forward because everyone had to buy that during the pandemic to work from home. Very tough comps going into Q1 and Q2 of 2021. We're going to see how that plays out and, and how the market starts to sniff that out. Uh, the other thing that could set us back is if new, tr new strains become resistant to the current vaccines because it takes a couple months to modify them. It can be done pretty easily, according to the CEO of Moderna, but it does set things back. I think that's a very low probability concern, but she asked me for concerns. And um, lastly, as we mentioned, the uh, aggressive de-risking of hedge funds last week, redemptions will be imminent. There are aftershocks. Are there going to be aftershocks after the initial earthquake? And it usually takes more than a few days to go through the system. So we'll see. So far, no signs of any aftershocks or tremors. But um, 
but but you know we'll we'll keep our eyes on it. Next, uh, what's the next catalyst for the stock market? The next catalyst is stimulus. It now looks like that's that's going to happen no matter what. And what does it all suggest uh, in the absence of further catalysts? Historically low institutional cash levels, which is ca accurate uh, right now. Certain pockets of froth, record call buying by retail investors, back frenzy, highest margin levels since the great financial crisis and uh, the uh, tech bubble. And a lot of good news already priced, new, priced in. We could see a situation of a continued consolidation of the gains in coming weeks before resuming the uptrend and closing the year out higher. Uh, I certainly think we close out higher. I just don't know the glide path in the interim. My spidey sense says even if we push a little higher here, uh, we probably give some of that back and take take a breather in, in coming weeks. But um, we'll see. You know, we're prepared for all eventualities and we know where we're looking for value irrespective of, of what the general indices do. I mean, the general indices is just a barometer. It doesn't really help where you make your money is finding those sectors that still represent value, that have the fundamentals behind it, that over the next 12 to 18 months can outperform. And when we think in those terms, uh, there's no change in, you know, when I can find cheap defense and aerospace, I want to be adding. Uh, if banks and uh, energy were to pull back uh, anymore, I would consider adding more, but we're pretty aggressively positioned uh, from from uh, mid last year and late last year and took advantage of that to to add more. And um, and that that's where we see opportunity right now for, for new money with the market at, you know, basically all time highs. It's it's not, you know, the risk reward uh, was much more favorable six months ago than it is today. And except in certain sectors, which is what we're what we're trying to convey and uh, hopefully be helpful. As with always, go to the top of hedgefundtips.com, click on terms. And this is not uh, advice. This is just opinion. Talk to your financial advisor, uh, just sharing what we're doing uh, personally and with our clients who are accredited investors and uh, qualified institutions. So. Um, so that's that. We got it. We got, you know, we we put out that article a couple of weeks ago, TikTok until the stock market ghosts us. Last week, we did get a, a healthy 3.7% pullback. Was that it? It's really too early to tell. If it does follow our post-election 2017 model, which we had talked about, uh, you know, for the last few months going into the election, that was our roadmap. Everyone was pessimistic. We said, you know, here's what we think, how we think it's going to play out. Here's the rotation. Those factors did play out. Uh, but keep in mind, in all of the year 2017, you didn't have a pullback greater than three or four percent. So if it persists in following that model, maybe that was it last week, and maybe there are no aftershocks. Um, I tend to think we're going to get a little bit more in coming weeks, but um, but we'll see. We'll see. And 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 the only reason it generally matters is not predicting the market, is just saying okay, other than those areas that are that are still cheap right now, what could get cheap that we would have an opportunity in the event uh, that we did get further consolidation? Just kind of thinking forward, how much cash to keep available and or to you know load into that which is currently cheap without having to wait for any any further consolidation and that's that's kind of how we think about that so um the other theme that we've been pressing is 
in recent weeks podcasts and video casts is the concept of rallies under the surface. This means that even if the market were to consolidate some, sideways for some period of time and not make major gains, uh, to digest the uh, gains off the the 75% gains off the March lows, certain sectors and stocks would have monster moves or could have monster moves under the surface even if the general indices are subdued for some time. And that's really what we've been getting at um, in, in what we try to do here with sector rotation and laying the framework for that. What I'm watching is Apple for a clue. Um, if Apple makes new highs, then probably all bets are off uh, in the short term. But if that remains under pressure a bit, it showed a little bit of strength this week. But if it doesn't make new highs, then then maybe we, we do grind sideways for a bit before resuming the uptrend the back half and, and finishing the year higher. Uh, sector earnings. We did consumer discretionary this week. Uh, the top 30 weights earnings were up uh, 87 basis points in the last 60 days. Consumer staples uh, top 30 weights were earnings at 2021 estimates were up 1.06% in the last 30 days. Uh, S&P 500 came up again. This is what we were talking about. Uh, last week, they were 172 up from 168. Now they're 173.43 uh, for 2021 and almost $200, 199.88 for 20. 22. So this trend of estimates going up every week, although unusual, is happening, and that is very promising. As far as economic data this week, uh, the key ones were today. You saw the unemployment rate drop. That was good, although um, uh, non-farm payrolls ad was less than expectations at 49,000. Uh, average weekly hours went up. That was good. Average hourly earnings were up 5.4%. That beat expectations. That's in line with my expectation for imminent wage inflation. So keep an eye on that. Continuing jobless claims came down. That was strong. Initial jobless claims came down. That was good. Um, so that was all positive. You had another draw in crude oil inventories. You know, price continues to go up. That's been a positive thing. You saw Exxon was strong as hell this week. That's a good thing. Uh, you had a million barrel draw, give or take. Uh, services PMI was good. That's that's healthy. Uh, total vehicle sales were better than expected at 16.6 million versus 16.1. Very positive. And uh, lastly, construction spending was up modestly. So uh, that's that's effectively it. So uh, we're going to wrap up. Let's uh, everyone enjoy the Super Bowl this weekend. Uh, we are grateful to be out down here. I'm more interested in my girls' swim meets on Saturday and Sunday. So please wish them luck. Keep them in your thoughts. And then uh, we'll, we'll celebrate it uh, with the game on Sunday night and be back up in, uh, in New York and Connecticut on Monday. So uh, thanks to everyone for listening in this week. We'll be back next week, same time, same place. Make it a great one.